Renewal Church. Um, man, I'm deeply honored to be with you guys. This is okay. Could be the quality of my voice. Um, you know, I'm really honored to be with you guys. This is uh, fun for me to be here. As Pastor Luke was saying, um, I'm not just coming here to preach today. This is a homecoming for me because for some, and some of y'all know this because you were there. You're older than me, so you were there. Um, I'm, you know, my ministry roots really are driven from West Philly in what used to be called Emmanuel Church. That's now obviously Renewal like you as well. I remember a long, long time ago as some uh, probably cooler than I really, I thought I was cooler than I was walking to this church thinking, okay, I should explore this Jesus a little bit more. And God just crushed my heart. Like the gospel just, I was that guy coming in. I would always come in late. I remember some Sundays I would come in like right before the off. We did offering at the end, like right before then, because guilt still drove me. So I was like, well, I should go to church. I guess that counts. Um, but more and more sitting there in the seats and hearing the gospel and seeing the gospel and, and just tears running down my cheeks as I, I just started to comprehend that this God could actually know me and love me. Unbelievable. And, and can you believe it? He like called me to follow him in the ministry to share the same gospel with others. So my roots are in West Philly, old school, Emmanuel Church. And, and I, I just want to say, as I was even seeing people coming in, um, man, it does my heart so good to see those I've walked with together many years ago, seeing you faithfully be part of God's ministry here, uh, loving your families, loving one another. It's really, really encouraging to me. So uh, I'm from Baltimore, and uh, a lot of times if I have to travel and do different things, I don't always get to, but this is fun for me this weekend because I was able to bring my family, and my lovely wife Judy here is also here. So this is a, it's a special treat for me. Um, so I know the church, you are all in a really exciting time. New pastor, and uh, I don't want to embarrass people, but man, you're, you're, you're a new pastor. I've actually benefited from afar in many ways from writings and teachings and, and, you know, often quoted. So when I heard who the Lord has led to this church, I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. That's tremendous how God's going to continue to work. So I wanted to give a word um, for us to just be reminded. No, hopefully, I don't think anything new for any of you, but he reminded of the nature of faith, the kingdom principles of our Lord that sometimes seem so different than uh, what the world tells us. So can I pray for us? And we just going to dig in, chop it up in a bit. Lord, thank you for these faithful men and women who are gathered as the church. And Lord, we know even as we come into this place on Sundays, and you know, so much of our faith is so much more than this time, but Lord, this is significant that we almost declare as a unified body that we believe in something different that sometimes seems so ridiculous to the world, but makes so much sense the more we're rooted in you. So I pray for my friends here, Lord. You you do that amazing Holy Spirit thing where you can know a room this big, as many of us as are here, and you know exactly what we need to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to breathe. Move through this room. Maybe even some of our hearts are tired, exhausted. We're here, but we don't even know why we're here. Speak words of truth to us. Bring words of healing, restoration. Remind us why we do what we do. Thank you for your word. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're looking as we read together from Psalm 126, and this is actually a, one of a group of 15 psalms from 120 to 134 that are called the Psalm of Ascents. So the purpose of these psalms, and my kids actually remind me, because I walk a lot when they're preaching, they're like, yo, you're going to fall off that thing. So <laughs> if you see me teetering to the edge, say, yo, come on back. Um, but the, the purpose of these psalms was for celebration. 
So when people would be journeying to Jerusalem to gather together in, in, fe in festivals and feasting, um, they would have caravans. I almost think, you know, I'm a Philly guy, so uh, I'm still holding on to the Super Bowl win. But I, one of my greatest joys was seeing, okay, we got the celebration call, called in a place called Minnesota, but we're going to take busloads of people to gather together, and we're just going to ride there for the Super Bowl and celebrate. And, and even though we didn't know what was going to happen, though, we thought it was God-ordained, we're going to celebrate. And, you know, their songs are probably a little bit raunchier than what I would imagine would have been here. Same kind of heart, that people are expecting to meet with God. So they're singing, and these songs were written to guide them into celebration. So it makes, a se it makes sense that most of these psalms of ascent, they had a celebratory tone. It was really to get the spirits high, and there was meant to be hope that was uh, engendered. And Psalm 126, um, you can see here, it fits right along some of those lines. And there's this big theme of restoration, uh, what God is going to continue to do according to his character and, and his promises. And I think for us to fully grasp what's, um, what was written here in terms of God's deliverance, it's helpful to understand the context in which this song was written. So in the Bible, you'll see some his and some of you are Bible nerds, so you could teach this, but I'll give a brief explanation. You'll see historical descriptions of time when the people of Israel were taken away captive, um, Dates back to 597 BC when all of the powerful warriors, the, the skilled craftsmen, really the best of the best of the people, they were taken captive to this conquering nation, Babylon. And 11 years later, in 586 BC, the Babylonians, they laid waste to Israel's main city, Jerusalem. They broke down the walls, they burned down whatever they could burn, and they took most of the top remaining people captive from Israel as well. And it's important for us to recognize that this captivity, this uh, destruction, this was not some random occurrence from a bigger bully nation. Um, not because Babylon was that much greater of a political power, but this was allowed by God. Even for people he loved dearly, he allowed this discipline as cleansing judgment on people who continued to disobey him. So he allowed this to happen for a season. So they were taken, they were humiliated, they really had no earthly hope for deliverance. And then by the year 581, there was a third major deportation. And what we had left was the land of Judah, um, which was stripped barren. There was almost nothing of quality left there. The poorest of the poor were left. And there came a point in this captivity in this foreign land. It lasted so long, there were just a few Jews left who could remember even the original deportation. So here's, here's what happened. In the midst of that captivity, an even more powerful people came in, the Persian Empire. And, and they, they, they beat the Babylonians. They conquered them. And, and if you follow history, you would expect that, yo, this is going to make things even worse. An even, an even greater nation has taken over. Um, but here's what happened. There was a king of Persia named Cyrus, and he issued a law basically releasing the Jews from their captivity. He freed them. And, and he told, he made the mandate, y'all going to return to Jerusalem, and you're going to rebuild your temple, and yo, here, we're going to help you. We're going to give you the funds to be able to do this. We're going to give you gold, silver, goods. We're even going to give you animals so you can do this work and rebuild your people and your nation and your religion. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Here's the thing we have to recognize, though. This release from captivity, it happened in an instant. 
It wasn't like the government's strategic plan, like, okay, well, let's just endure a little bit more with Babylon, but we feel like the, 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 the air is saying that Persia is going to come in, and maybe there's a hope that this happened. Instant. No one was planning this. No one was expecting this, but the people's fortunes, they changed literally overnight from captivity to glory, from, from slavery to freedom. God moved powerfully. And that's a little bit of the backdrop for us to understand, though. It's not stated explicitly. Most believe that Psalm 126 was written to celebrate this glorious reversal of fortune, to celebrate the ways that God's worked in the past and how we should then approach him even today. It's the same God. So let's chop it up a little, little by little here. Verse 1, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Have you ever woken up and had one of those dreams that you were so sure it was real that you, like, you were confused for a second whether like this is the dream and that was the reality? And like I know you're floating around like a bird, but you're like, yo, maybe that's reality. It's so good. I'm... And you're like, oh, man, it was a dream. It was those chicken wings I had last night. Wow. I, and, but it seems so realistic and so good. That, that's what they're saying here. This has happened in our lives. We can't comprehend. This can't be real. All our family has known is being captive by this big bully nation. We've been stripped of our identities. We have no more names. We're working for the man. Well, and suddenly we're, we're not? It has to be a dream. That's what they're saying. Verse 2, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Um, I love sports, and I love listening to sports announcers, and I love particularly when sports announcers are caught off guard, and one of the best, a couple years old examples I remember was during the 2016 Olympics, the women's 100-meter freestyle, and you had this race, right? And it goes through the first half to 50, and then the announcer's like, oh, and this woman from Germany is leading it and going, oh, and they've got a good lead. And, you know, it's just like normal announcing, and they make that turn on the 50, and they start coming back. And they're like, oh, and then the Austrian swimmers. And suddenly you start to see this pitch because there was this one young lady named Simone Manuel from the U.S. who no one was projecting that was going to be any significance in the race. But you see her on there, start to cruise ahead. And, by, and then the announcer's like, oh, no, oh. And Simone Manuel started to creep up. Again. And by the end, you're like, hey, Simone Manuel! It's like he was caught off guard by something so wonderful, so great that he hadn't planned, hadn't expected, and all he could do was celebrate and praise and exalt. There was a spontaneous, uncontainable joy when the unexpected happens in the same way for the people of Israel. All they can do is say, blah, what do we got? No words. All we can do is laugh and shout because look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. Then the next part of verse two, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Yo, this is one of my favorite verses in scripture because it reminds us that our redemption the transformation that we experience in Christ was never meant to be a private matter. I know that's debated in some circles. Okay, y'all, you can yelp about your favorite restaurants, but keep your religion and your faith to yourself. But the Bible teaches that's not the way it works. Like when God has done something in you, there should be something so amazing that arises out from your words, but your deeds and your exaltation that, that even your nations, your neighbors that don't believe in God, they should say, yo, God has done some amazing things for them. Wow, God has worked. And that's what the neighbors of Israel were doing. They were saying, yeah, we might believe in a different deity, but look at what God has done for these people. 
our, our transformed our lives are meant to show the world so that they might also see God and give him glory. They're worshiping here, and they don't even know who God is. They're worshiping. And, and it reminds us as well that a missional life, it leads back its fuel for our own worship of God. And, and this is important for us to remember because if, we just, if this is just coming to do some religious tasks, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this as a pastor, I can get a little boring. You can strike that from the recording in case. Uh, it can, though, if we don't know why we're doing but we come back because we're fueled by, as we're living on mission for a week, in a way, we're coming back here to celebrate as God is being known through our lives, and we sing these songs, and they're not just hat catchy, hooky lyrics, but we're like, that's my life. I'm seeing that, and even those that who are in my circles of life, they're starting to experience that as well. They're seeing that as well. Here's where the psalm takes an interesting turn in verse 4. Let's look at that again. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I mean, it almost seems like two psalms, doesn't it? From verses 1 to 3, you have this very celebratory worshiping God, lifting up, praising him. And then verse 4, um, it, it changes. Because verse 1 to 3, that's almost like, I call it kind of like very American Western Christianity, like almost um, kind of God has a wonderful plan for your life. Kind of, well, of course we do all this because God is great. God has done amazing things in us. Look how he's delivered. Look how he's resolved. Look at the ways he's blessed our family. Look at how much prosperity. Of, of course we praise God. And the nations are... Um, but in verse 4, you realize that the psalm is actually not being written when all is going well, but actually in times of lacking. That's restore our fortunes. That's why he says restore our fortunes. They've lost these things. And, and I think it's, it makes sense to say that the agrarian language means it's probably talking to a farm, an actual farming people who are um, thinking about the year's harvest and they're uncertain and, and they're leaving this to God. I think that's very reasonable. But I also believe this might be speaking of a people who are coming from a sense of general communal lament. Life has been very uncertain. It's been really hard. They're unsure of what's going on, what's going to happen. They don't really have a blueprint for the next one, five, ten years. But they're crying out to God in the midst of it. Verses 5 and 6, it describes that the season is full of tears and weeping. This is not an easy season for this people. And, and here's the thing, and, and you guys are a little nuanced in your face, so you can get this, right? Um, there's heartfelt praise, but in the very same song, there's deep lament. That's profound, because in our nation, we don't do that well. American Christianity does not do lament well, but people who've suffered know that part of our journey is lament, but at the same time, we can praise God. Like the gospel allows us to do that. It's profound. In the midst of that, the psalmist asks for God to show himself like the streams of the Negev in verse 4. And what this is referring to is the south of Israel, which is an utterly dry region in the summer. Um, but what happens when it rains in the springtime, the streams quickly fill and flood that region. Um, and we, I, I, man, I've been away from Pennsylvania so long, I can't remember this. I'm sure it happened. But where we live, there's certain places, Ellicott City, some of you might have heard that in Maryland, 
Uh, it's been tragically, the past few years, just crazy flooding. And a few years ago, when it first happened, um, you go on YouTube, it's frightening because what happened with people out just to hang out, you know, be cool hipsters in Ellicott City and go to the restaurants and enjoy and walking along Main Street. And suddenly you got people with this storm, like trying to do like a chain to help each other out of the river that's developed in the main road because the, ro- the water came so fiercely and it flooded it so quickly that it's, it went from dryness to suddenly a flood. And that's a frightening image. But I think the physical imagery is the same kind of thing for us to consider here that in the reverse of it, we're supposed to uh, have in our context, in our mind, hope that where there was once nothing, barren, dry, lifeless, dusty, (coughs) that kind of dry, suddenly God has brought rains. God has brought waters. Suddenly there's life that God would do something in an instant. Why can the people believe like this? Because they know the history well, and they know who God is. That's what verses 1 to 3 is. They know who God is throughout this narratives that have been passed on from family to family. They know their God that works. That even if today looks like really bad, they know how God operates. And that God loves to show off during bad times. That he's constantly at work. This is a very theologically, biblically based prayer. Because their belief in the God that's described in verses 1 to 3 all the things that they describe of who he is, that's leading to the hope and faith that they pray about in verses four to six. This is not an empty prayer. This is not, oh God, I hope you can do something here because we got, we suddenly been freed here, but we got generated. We don't know what to do. This is based on verses one to three. God, we know how you've worked. We know how you've shown yourself. We know how you've redeemed. We know our forefathers and all the stories that have been passed on, the story of redemption, your faithfulness to an unfaithful people. Lord, in, in light of that now, we pray that you would also allow us to continue to be faithful, allow us to continue to sow, help us to be dependent upon you. And we see that their hope in prayer, it leads them to also hope in active obedience. This is not just praying, they're also living trusting God, that even as their hearts are full of sorrow, their eyes are full of tears, yet they will continue to still go, so in faith, expecting that God is doing something with their precious seed that they have to give, even when their obedience seems like a real waste. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk like I say that a lot in our church. You can start to get a glimpse of what our church is like, right? But I don't know if I'm allowed to say things like this, but do you ever ask questions like for your life? And you can think about church, but just even life. I mean, why bother? I mean, does it even matter what I'm doing to be faithful? Um, I mean, does it even matter and make a difference when I come here and serve and set things up for worship? Does it matter if I'm trying to be faithful in my workplace and trying to be, live with integrity in my neighborhood and raise my family a certain way and treat my studies a certain way and, you know, do groups in church. I mean, does it really do anything in the cosmic, like, big picture? Does it make any difference? Why am I wasting my time and my energy on things that no one else seems to really care about? I mean, maybe you're even thinking about certain people in your life that are really difficult, and you've invested a lot of time and energy and sweat, and sometimes you just stand there before God and say, Does it even matter what I've been investing in this person? Is it ever going to lead to anything? I mean, I do. I don't don't know if you do. Maybe I'm the only only one with doubt here. But you can pray for me after. Um, 
Maybe for some of us, it's like certain values you've committed to in your life. That, you know what, everyone else in my workplace, yo, they all trying to raise, go up that ladder and they're going to do whatever they do. Can, they're going to speak ill about others. And, but I'm going to seek to do, conduct myself with integrity. I'm going to approach even marriage and, and uh, possible marriage with integrity, even though the world tells me, yo, you could probably do it this way. I'm, I'm going to seek to honor God. And, and, and the thing is, in a high-speed Amazon drone, like order your stuff in the morning and it's on your step before you put your phone down, like that kind of scary high-speed kind of culture, maybe the most countercultural thing that we can do, guys, is live with this principle of sowing in faith for a harvest that we cannot yet see, what we, but we believe is coming. Maybe that's the most countercultural thing in a world that tells us you can have anything you want like right now, today. And if it's not happening today, something's off. Maybe countercultural, we're weird about as Christians, right? We're, we think countercultural like movies and music and maybe, but that's just usually bad movies and bad music. But maybe countercultural is living in a way that's very different than what the normal cultural zeitgeist is, is that you should have whatever you want now. As long as you work hard enough, it should produce. I mean, that's parenting, right? Uh, I just keep struck with how many young families we have in the room. Man, that's what parenting is. Rarely, I mean, kids are awesome. Sometimes they'll show you that day how awesome they are. But most times it's like you having the same conversation when they're little, especially like day after day after day. There are only a certain human capacity for fat crayons, right? Like I, I got issued with fat crayons. I cannot look at a fat crayon anymore. I just I want normal Crayola skinny crayons. And like there's a certain point where as a parent, and this leads all into their teen, and from what I've heard even beyond that, you're sometimes you're like, Man, I, I don't know if this is making a difference because I don't see it. And the thing is, we know if you if you a parent, you know, but you know you do it because one day you believe it will. You continue to be faithful to sow that seed in faithfulness, believing that God is using all of those things, even if you might not see it that day. I mean, I know it practically, but I've also seen in my own life these principles of sowing in faith. Um, I think as I'm getting older, I just get more and more nostalgic. So we came into the, the area this weekend. My kids are so tired of it because I keep driving around to everything I used to do and say, yo, this is where I used to like eat hamburgers or this is where I used to stuff. They're like, it looks like Maryland. I mean, that's like... <laughs> but I, 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 you know, as I get nostalgic, I remember, man, so I grew up in the area and I remember like I was a little immigrant kid, like third, fourth grade. I couldn't remember exactly. But I remember my parents, you know, what they would do back then is like, okay, we want to put our kids in some vacation Bible school. Let's find a good American church that does VBS well and stick our kids in there. So we found a good local one. My parents dropped me off in there. And I'll be real, real honest. Like, all I remember is like a bunch of like old white ladies, um, like doing kind of hokey crafts and weird songs and snacks that I didn't understand. And, and you know, I was like, ah, and... You know, honestly, you could look at the whole thing. I was like, I guess I kept the kids busy for a week. But I didn't have these memories until a few years ago. God brought back like a, I would say, a Holy Spirit-led remembrance of certain things. I started to remember, you know what the content of that VBS was? And I'm not going to give my age away, but that was a long time ago. I remember that it was Gideon. Like, I remember that now. 
they taught us about Gideon. And I remember doing these little, um, again, it might have been corny in my eyes at the time, but these little paper things, these little lanterns, these flames to show us uh, the stories. I still remember that. And I still remember the faith that was imparted from these precious saints saying, we're going to commit to whatever we can to serve these children this week, whoever God brings to this place. And man, more and more, I'm looking forward to glory because I want to be in glory one day. And I don't know if it's going to work this way. I don't know enough. Ask your new pastor. He's smarter than me. (laughs) But I hope there's going to be like a registry where I can find people. I'm going to look for those little old ladies. I don't know their name, but from that church. I want to give them like a big hug and, and just thank them and say, you, did, you probably didn't know what you were doing. You were just trying to be faithful. You were just trying to impart whatever you can, trying to say, Lord, use me, let me be available, whatever. And you didn't know some of the little things that you were imparting in some weird little Korean kid back in third, fourth grade, that God would use those things to impact so many more than they could have ever imagined. Because that's the way God works. That's the way God works. We're always sowing seeds, not just for what we can see with our eyes at that moment, but even in hope, believing that God will take those things and do what he does, impact far beyond even what we think he would. Psalm 126, it reminds us, we can never determine if God is at work merely based on what our senses tell us at the very moment. We, we just can, I mean, hopefully God gives us evidence right there. Sometimes we need that. That's good. But we also have to be people that realize um, sometimes God's at work and we have no clue he's at work, especially in times of sorrow, but that God is at work. Because sometimes if we're just being honest, sometimes it feels like your obedience is just throwing away seeds to die in vain. It feels like busy work. You don't even know why you're doing it, whether it's in life family, church. But it's all the more why we keep biblical principles of the gospel like Psalm 126 on our minds. I mean, I have the privilege to work with a lot of uh, new church plants, new church starts in Baltimore. Um, So, you know, God's given me uh, just a place where I'm working with a lot of new guys that are starting in the city. And what I tell them, and I'm probably not good at my job because I shouldn't be saying these things. I should be motivating. You can do it. But what I tell them, right, one of the first things is like, Yo, you know Baltimore's a real hard city, right? <laughs> Y'all know you will be under fierce spiritual attack, right? But here's what I tell them. I was like, you know, you can't include this in your fundraising letters because no one's going to give you any money. But you need to know that what you're investing in for however long God has you in the city, you're probably not going to see the result of what you're praying for, right? You need to know in a city like Baltimore that's got deep systemic injustice and brokenness for generations and generations, you know it's probably not going to happen from you just starting a cool little church in the neighborhood of Baltimore, even if it's gentrified, right? You know that, right? You know that what we're praying for, guys, is what we're investing in the few short years God has given us while we're in Baltimore. We're praying for like generations to come in the future that what we would throw into the seed, what, we, what seed we would throw into the ground, we pray that God would use that, that one day maybe there would be fruit that comes from that faithfulness and we might never know about it until we're on the other side of glory. But we give faithfully because we believe in the God of the harvest. Because we're not living in a Disney movie, right? Sometimes the Christian life, we, like, it's like a 90-minute Disney movie, and all oh, things are really hard, but trust in God and throw that seed, and oh, it flowed, blossoms into this wonderful flower by minute 90, and everyone and princess and prince get together. Sometimes I believe God can do anything, 
But oftentimes, we're left at the end of our life saying, what did I do with all that? Hmm. Seemed like a lot of wasted seed. But it doesn't mean something powerful is not happening. Um, you know, our church, the village in, in Baltimore, and some of you, I, part of why I love being here is just thank many of you. Many of you have been on the journey with us, whether praying or supporting even financially. And man, we needed every one of those prayers and gifts because God has done good things. Uh, especially in the early years, it was really challenging, but we just celebrated 10 years as a church last fall. It was just epic. I mean, I should have like gone to Costco, got that like giant, like mega-sized tissues for that weekend because I was like, we had a... We had different things to celebrate, and remember, we had this one bank where the whole thing was a cry fest. It was horrible, right? But just so much gratitude, but even remembering hard times. And, you know, God has done so many good things in our church, and just far beyond anything we could have comprehended. But I don't know what it was. It was remembering, yeah, all that's great, and we celebrate God for that. But I couldn't help and just coming back to remember one family in particular who's been with us since the beginning, and they're the only family left from the beginning, right? We just had a small group. Um, I remember, you know, we were like typical church star trying to be cool and relevant and let's do a movie night because that would be really cool in our neighborhood. And I remember making up like little flyers that we're going to post all over our neighborhood and over the businesses. Man, I remember this one family at the time, they had a little toddler and a little newborn under the arm. And this family going all around the business area of our neighborhood taking flyers with them, baby under the arm, trying to keep the other one, going to every neighborhood business and asking if they could post these flyers. And you know what? That movie night, it was horrible. That was like, like almost no one came. <laughs> but what I remind our church is that all of the good things we're experiencing now, it was because of little bits of faithfulness like this family has shown and many others constantly giving into, believing that God is going to use these things. And maybe it won't look like what we think it should, but that God uses everything we give. And we know that's the way of Christ, right? It ultimately points us to our Savior. Man, I just imagine in the end there when Christ is experiencing his arrest, his betrayals, ultimately to the point where he's hung up on this tree. Man, if I were an observer there, I would just been looking and be like... Wow, man, yo, you did some great things for, the, for a couple of years there. Wow, that's some epic teaching. And yo, you almost like filled like um, the, the lawns with people wanting to hear you and the miracles and people getting fixed and transformed. Wow, that was great. But yo, it ended real bad. Man. Yeah, even your closest homies, they're not around anymore. They all ran. All you got is some of these few courageous women who are sticking it out. Everyone else, they like denying you hanging up there in your underwear, bleeding out, looking like a chump. Wow. That was a real waste. Real sad. Man, not a good plan, Messiah. The thing is, Jesus knew that. Like M. Knight got nothing on <laughs> twists when it comes to this, right? Jesus knew the real twist. He didn't know, everyone else didn't know a few days later. Well, he, Jesus told him, but they didn't remember that few days later, that he would conquer sin and death and the grave and rise again and say, that was not the end there. Friday was not the end. I had a whole different plan in mind, and now we're going to live out resurrection, power, and hope. 
But that's the way of Christ, that Jesus' sacrifice to the untrained eye looked like a big waste. It looked like throwing a whole big seed away, thrown to the ground and trampled out. But Jesus knew the truth that he was using it all. God was going to use it. That was going to be the very vehicle by which redemption would crash through our world and invite you and me to join it as well. It's John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the way of Christ. That's the way of his good news, the gospel. And that's the way for our church as we follow him as well. We are such, I think one of the American sin is that we are such a culture that thinks everything should be big and bad and great just because we do something right away. And one of the greatest things God's wanting to teach us is a countercultural kingdom, faithfully sow, faithfully pray, faithfully serve, love your neighbor, even if it doesn't seem like it's happening next week or even next year or even five years, continue to pour into people because we don't know what God is doing with those faithful seeds of investment. There is no wasted sowing in the economy of God. Amen? Amen? There is no wasted sowing in the economy of God's kingdom. How is God encouraging you to keep sowing today? Let me ask you to stand with me, um, if you could. And I'm going to ask you to think about, and obviously I think the church is a, just a very practical thing to think about, and maybe it's tied with the church. And I, uh, you know, maybe that's part of what sowing looks like for you. But maybe it looks different for every person in this room. What is an area of your life that maybe if you were just being a moment of honesty, you've kind of given up hope? You've grown weary and tired and wondering why you even bother. I mean, you go through the motions, but you wonder, is this even making a difference? Maybe for some of you, you're thinking about a person in your life. Maybe some of you are thinking about your neighborhood. Some of you think about your workplace. Maybe for some of you, it is a church, and you're tempted to give up hope, wondering, does this even matter? Can I ask you to consider those things in your mind right now? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe for some of you parents, it's your children. Maybe it's another. Maybe it's a parent. Whatever it is in your life that you are tempted to give up hope, believing that your faithfulness is for naught, that it doesn't really matter, I'm going to ask you to consider that not as a hocus-pocus kind of prosperity gospel, that if you just pray it enough, God will do it, but believing in faith that God might be doing it even if you're not aware of it. And for some of us, maybe, I don't know everyone's situation here, maybe the biggest thing that God is inviting you to sow into is your own life. Maybe you are here, and maybe you are far from God. Maybe you don't know who God is, but you're here. And maybe what God is wanting to invite you to is a new life found in Him. And the way to experience that new life is through your own death. But not that you have to die for yourself, but Jesus died for you so that you could have new life. Maybe the biggest seed you can throw is one of faith saying, Jesus, here's my life. Let me know this new life as well. Let me believe. Because for some of us, maybe when we talk about sowing, there's a lot of guilt attached to it. Because maybe what you're standing here and you're thinking about all the things you've wasted in your life, maybe you even think your life is a waste. Jesus doesn't view people's life as a waste. Jesus, through his life, through his, through his life as seed into the ground with much hope, that it will do something even in your life. Even if you've been far away from God, I invite you to say, Jesus, thank you for not giving up on me and let me know the deep commitment and love you have for even me, even if I haven't held up my end of the bargain. And come back to him. 
So I'm going to ask you to do it this way. Whatever you have, and you don't have to do this, obviously, but I'm going to ask you if you feel okay. In a physical posture, hold your hands out almost as if you're holding certain areas of your life that you want to say, Lord, I've given hope in this area. Almost like it's seed. And saying, Lord, I commit this to you. I don't have to make you do anything. You're God. But Lord, for my own heart, help me to trust in you again and continue to persevere in hope. So take a moment, whatever it looks like for you, pray that to the Lord. This is not magical. This is just the physical posture to reflect our heart. And I'll pray for us in a moment as we continue in our worship. Maybe some of you are just really weary and you're afraid to say it out loud because we don't talk like that in church places. You're just weary, really weary of being faithful. Remember that ultimately it's not our faithfulness that drives us, it's the faithfulness of our God. It's the faithfulness of our God, just like we sang about, he's that great, he's that big, he's that strong. He knows the things that drive you to deep fear even in your heart right now. He leads you. He knows the anxiety you feel that nothing's really going to change. He wants to remind you that when you are in him, all things are possible. Lord, help us. We are frail people. We are people so conditioned to judge the reality of our lives based on what we can see and smell and taste and hear with our senses. And our senses are good because they're from you. But Lord, you would also give us a deeper reality, Lord. Eyes to see the way you see the world that what looks like a loser mission is actually victory at play. Help us to know the way of the cross as we also approach our own lives. And Lord, I pray for all the people being held in these hands here, all the situations, all the neighborhoods. I pray for this church, Lord, that you look at it and you don't see something that's beyond your eyes, your means. You can do it. And you just want to remind us how big and strong and capable you are. So help us to pray and sing and, and depend and trust and sow in faith, Lord. Build this church through just even a few people who believe you are at work. So we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord.